Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. That's right, people, you know that sound. It is the unfiltered band. Hello. Welcome once again, Casey Stern with you. It is another episode of the Pod Unfiltered, episode number 10. 10th episode of Unfiltered, and this one's kind of like a combo job. As I'll get into something that ties to free agency as we sit here continuing the first week in NBA free agency and news comes out and things of that nature, which we'll delve into a bit. But tying into my next list, which today we're going to, in honor of this being a holiday weekend for July 4th, do the top 10 independent fireworks of my lifetime. And the way that I'm kind of putting that is these are the, I don't really give a crap what you think. I'm me. That's not always good. But those who did it and continue to stay at a high enough level and perform at a high enough level that they stayed in the public eye during this process. And we're dealing with champions on this list, a ton of them also. All right. I'll do some honorable mentions with that as well. I want you to hit me up on Twitter as always. Who would be in your list? I love people get mad. Like, first of all, it says my lifetime, right? So, yeah, I'm in my mid-40s, but I'm not going to pick somebody that I really watched when I was five. So don't get mad at me until you understand that, okay, your lifetime, if you're in your 60s or in your 20s, right, is different than mine. I know that's terribly difficult to understand, really. But we'll get into that. I'll give you some uh, unfiltered Honorable mentions for that list as well. Hit me up on Twitter at Casey Stern. Let me know your thoughts on what you agree with, what you don't agree with, and all of that as we go on with the pod today and throughout uh, the podcast. And we've got a lot more coming at you. Again, a couple of really fun guests coming on the other side of the fourth as well, which I think you'll enjoy. I want to tie in NBA free agency in this manner first. Because you know my thoughts on Kyrie. If you've been listening to the podcast, he's pretty much the most giant pain in the ass in the NBA. I think that is clear, right? And now the Nets are trying to work out several trades. And there is an entitlement that comes with being an athlete today that is different than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, and so on, right? There's more of a brand. There's more money involved. There's more of an individuality. There's more of a marketability and a way to monetize the way that these players are off the floor, off the court, off the field, off the ice, et cetera, right? Outside of the ring, octagon, what have you. Um, And because of that... Reaction's good, whether it's good or bad. And a lot of these guys that we're going to bring up even on the list here today, and certainly Kyrie, who's not on my list, but, I mean, you would fit the category, is you're dealing with guys who understand how some of them to play a role and almost play it a heel, if you will, in WWE terms, right? There are guys like Draymond Green, who's an honorable mention for me. He doesn't make my top 10, who I, I really dig the dude, and I like him, and I love the way that he is because we're going to talk about this a lot today that you know, we don't really know what we want from our athletes. But what I dig about Draymond is that he really doesn't give a crap. Now, he cares about winning, and he cares about his teammates, and he cares about playing hard, and that's where you have to care. But he is who he is, and he's even more so being that way now than, than ever before, right? And when you're vocal and you're outspoken, even I, I've dealt with that to some extent, it's like, you know, what do people really want? And that's the question I start with because, you know, is it fair that Kevin Durant gets to 
choose not only what team he goes to or at least attempt to, but then tell you like, hey, you can't trade for these players because I need them still on the team when I play? No, that's ridiculous. It's not fair, right? But there's a level of street cred and sweat equity that you get from being Kevin Durant. And then there's that, okay, you know, gray area, because everything is gray area, of whether or not that's enough of an excuse or a reason for it to be palatable to you what he does, right? Kyrie saying, we don't need a coach, that's asinine. doesn't matter who the hell you are. And it's certainly not going to ingrain you with anyone, I don't think, in any sane community. And I hate that, you know, I get it. There's like this camaraderie, especially in the NBA, with like all these guys have you know, whether it's like, you know, partners and agencies like Clutch or shoe deals or, you know, with Nike or whatever it is where, like, you can't, you know, talk shit about, like, certain guys because they're, like, with you in, in, like, other groups, even if they're not on your NBA team. They could be on another team from a business perspective. It's like, I wish I really could find out what every NBA player thinks of this guy, right, for Kyrie, for example. But it does bring the question, and this is something I wanted to bring up before I get into this list because it is kind of something that ties in. What do we really want from people? And I didn't say athletes. Notice, I said people, right? In, in my experience, and I, I'm not, you know, generalizing is a terrible thing. So I don't want to sit there and generalize and say it, it's everyone, right? A majority of people I've met in my life, in sports or out, will tell you they want authenticity, they want honesty, they want brash, they want upfront. They want New York, basically, right? Attitude-wise. A hundred percent say that. In my lifetime, my life experience, less than 50% can handle it. And it's, it's probably far less, right? Less than 50%, probably far less, act that way. And then you create a culture in life. Again, I didn't say athletes or sports. In life where we all half-ass what we really think even if it's in our heads, we don't put it out the mouth. We don't tell people whether we care about them or not or we're in the public eye or not. It's just a life thing. I mean, that's just how we are. I hate it, right? And it makes it really hard, being totally honest, for me to get along with people sometimes because I'm very much that way, and I have a huge problem with people who are not. And it makes it hard for me because then it's like, you know, you're brash and, you know, you just say shit. And it's like, no, I don't just say shit. I'm just telling you what I feel, Right. Like, isn't that what you want to know? Like, when, you know, it's like, what was it, um, that movie, like, you know, whether you go to, like, What Women Want or being John Malkovich or Herman's Head, for crying out loud, I don't care. It's like, do you really want to know or do you want to have to, like, try and dissect it in your own head what you think I'm thinking or don't you want to know what I'm thinking? Well, when Kyrie says that we don't need a coach, we don't want to know what you're thinking, right? So a lot of times we ask for athletes to like, like people because I know it's crazy. They're people. But we ask for athletes to be honest. We ask for athletes to give it to us real, give it 100, right? And then we don't get 100, we get like 87. And I don't want to hear about 110%. And, or we get like 37. And then like they left certain things out or they got burner accounts because they're insecure. I mean, most of the guys that, that are at the highest level, the irony is they have the biggest insecurities because, and it's kind of understandable, people, their vulnerability of what they're doing, whether they're a performer, an actor, a rock star, a musician, a you know, basketball player, a baseball player, whatever, tennis player, it doesn't matter. They're out there. They're on their own. 
tennis players on that court, right, in Wimbledon, like they're out there not only you know, fighting for their career and everything else, but their family and their coaches and make everyone proud. They're doing it in front of millions on TV. They're doing it in front of, you know, thousands who are in, in, the, in the audience and, and, you know, people out there on the lawn who are cheering and, and all that other stuff. And it, that's a vulnerability that's just different, right? So because of that, it creates a lot of pressure for athletes to kind of find their lane about how honest they want to be and how authentic they want to be. And what we learn and what we find is that a lot of athletes don't want to be authentic at all, right? I have met athletes who are as genuine as they seem, where it's like, this can't be real. Give me an example. Curtis Granderson. Get a chance to cover him and then work with him at Turner. Dude's like the genuine. I mean, he's like, it's like talking about like Dusty. Different personality, more low-key. But here's a guy who, I mean, can he? is he really that nice? He's really that nice. I remember Granderson in a series where, if you remember, the series where it's probably the biggest scrum I've ever been involved in in the media for a player that's not in the lineup. When A-Rod was benched during one of the games against the Tigers, they had beaten the Orioles in a series. I don't remember what year it was, but if you remember the first round, they they took uh, Jim Johnson, the closer, to school. Raul Labania specifically, I think, twice in that series. They won it in five games, and then they never led in the series against the Tigers. And I believe it was the year that the Tigers then go on to play Texas and get smoked. But during that that series, A-Rod and Joe Girardi had moved him down to, like, what was it, the eight-hole, and then eventually got benched. And I remember in that game, I think it was maybe game four, the game that got swept, we were going to interview Curtis Granderson, and there's almost like that feeling of like, I don't want to I don't want to ask this guy if he wants to do an interview because you feel so bad. Like, I have to do my job, but I'm also a human being and I didn't know him that well, but I don't want to be disingenuous. And it's like it, it, you're using them. I mean, it's terrible, but that's the job. But it is what it is. But we asked him politely and he was totally cool with it. He was like, I think, like three for like 30 something in the playoffs. So that but didn't care to the interview. But he is like just a genuine. He's a great dude. Right. There are other people I've met who seem that way, and I've referenced this in podcasts in the past, podcasts of the past. Say that 10 times. Podcasts of the past. But no, I'm not going to do it. But I, I've, I've referenced this before. Like There are guys that I've thought, like, oh, my God, that's a terrific dude, and it's like, wow, like nobody likes this guy, and he's totally not genuine at all. It's all, it's all show. It's all, it's all for face value, and there's nothing behind it, right? And there's a lot of people like that. But what do you want from your athletes? I'm curious on Twitter... Let me know after you, you listen to this uh, or if, if you're watching the podcast. Like, do you really want to know? Because just like normal people, you know, it's like I was talking a couple of weeks ago about, you know, cursing on the air. It's like I'm surprised with the amount of times a mic's been in front of me over 20 years. That's, that's, that's the only time it's happened. Because if you are given a platform to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, just like any other human, eventually you're going to screw up, Right. It's like, and I'm not trying to make an excuse for me, it's for anybody. It's like eventually, like you're going to do something stupid, right? And you're going to make a mistake. It's like when a play-by-play guy accidentally reads the score wrong, you can't like have thousands of tweets like, oh, what a, mor- what a moron. Like, it's going to happen, okay? These people are talking constantly. It's going to happen, right? Well, if you throw a mic in front of enough athletes, you're going to find out a lot of them you right, really don't like as people, right? You could still like them as athletes. And some of these people are likable on this list, and some are not. What I'm looking for when I talk about this list today is I'm looking for those who are enigmatic, 
in a way where, you know, it, it kind of stems off appointment view, but that was more of like, I have to watch them play, right? And then a side of, like the bacon, the sausage with the eggs over easy or whatever you want is, like, I got to, you know, I also have that it factor thing, right? This is the opposite way, but I want greatness because you can't stay in the public eye if you're not. I mean, uh, my first honorable mention, just because it leads in well with that, is, is Yasiel Puig. Yasiel Puig, for like a short period of time, here's a dude licking bats. Like he's licking, first of all, like in the world of like, you know, let's get hand sanitizer. And I'm not even talking about like COVID related, like worried about germs and germaphobes. Dude's licking bats at the plate. But when you're, when you're playing well, you could do that. It's like I've always said, and nobody cared Adam LaRoche had a kid on the field. He could have had 18 kids on the field. At the same time, Jerry Reinsdorf and company didn't give a shit until he wasn't hitting 30 and driving in 100 and hitting 300. Then we can't have the kid on the field. Because I've seen a lot of players who had kids on the field, and that whole thing in Chicago overblown anyway. But Yasiel Puig, you know, we didn't know, like, you know, I mean, is he a disappointment, a bust? I mean, he should be better. He's so talented. And then all of a sudden it was like, you know, he had kind of his heyday during that playoff run where they do end up you know, losing to the Astros, those Astros, quote-unquote, and uh, Cowboy fans are the worst, by the way. Um, and, you know, he's licking bats. I mean, the dude is crazy. That's what you thought, right? And he turns out actually he's a pretty good dude. I mean, he's a, a misread kind of a guy in a lot of ways. But where is he now? Like, and how much of that has to do with his personality? It's a question, right? Um, some of the other guys I had on the list that are the honorable mention side of it. Meta World Peace. Formerly Ron Artest. When I think about Ron Artest, and I was a St. John's fan, and I'm a Knicks fan. When Ron Artest was drafted, the Knicks had a chance to bring Ron Artest home, keep him home in Queens at the Garden. And he's a Met fan as well, which also makes it good. Um, that's not why he called himself Meta World Peace, I don't think. But he is a Met fan. And one of the rap songs that he has, which are, you know, high, I mean, look, they're above Joe West and Country Joe's, you know, out at home in the category of things you might find on a jukebox. But they're certainly well below even things like the Macarena. But, you know, he's a Met fan. and He's a Queens guy, St. John's. And they had a chance to bring him home. And the Knicks got Frederick Weiss. Go look him up. Remember what I said? You know, things are bad when you can't pronounce. Remember Gannat? Like, for the Nats, like, they're so annoying. Well, here's a W-E-I-S Frederick Weiss, and he Frederick Weiss himself. I, he, nobody's seen him. Like, who, who's he? No idea. Nobody knows. Don't worry. Don't worry. Nobody knows. And compared to him, like, Michael Sweetney was, like, the greatest pick the Knicks ever had. Like, nobody even knew who Frederick Weiss was. And, and then Ron Artest is Ron Artest. Malice at the Palace. I mean, you know, Ron Artest for changing his name, Ron Artest for being on reality TV, Ron Artest for just being, you know, quirky. Could have had him in a lot of ways. He was an honorable mention for me. I mentioned Draymond. Gronk, to me, is kind of an interesting guy in this category because it, he, he's, he's not, like, controversial, but he's so, like, comfortable in his own skin and charismatic and beaten to his own drum. I put him on that honorable mention list for me. John McEnroe was close. I mean, the Connors McEnroe rivalry itself, but John McEnroe, because look, you got to, to stay relevant, you have to be a high level talent. He was a high level tennis talent, but the guy was, was crazy, right? I mean, this is before, like, you, know, you had the automated uh, strike zone version of tennis, right? Where you know whether or not it, it hit the baseline or went over and so on and so forth. But, you know, he basically, you know, scaring the judges into like therapy. Uh, Floyd Mayweather, very close to making my top 10. If I was more of a boxing fan, 
since the 90s, which I, I haven't been, certainly because of MMA in a, in a big way. Mayweather would have been up there because he fits the category in terms of, you know, has he been ducking fights? Is he as great as this undefeated record? And then he's got all these other and, – and look, I know some of the off-the-ring the stuff. I'm not supporting any of that. But in terms of just the promotion for his boxing and what he's done with his brand, certainly fits. I thought of John Rocker. I mean, John Rocker, as a Met fan, that time period – that was crazy. And like he, like many closers do, like where's Bobby Thigpen right now? Like many closers just kind of disappear. He did that. But, he, you know, he was, he was great on the mound and still kind of like a, you know, villainous character if you're, you know, at the time at Shea. But then he had the whole thing with the seven train and, and him spouting off all kinds of bigoted things as well. Uh, Chad Ochocinco is a guy I think of. And Chad Johnson was a really good receiver. Now he's, you know, is he Chad Ochocinco now or Johnson? I don't remember back and forth. He's really good at FIFA now and tweeting. But he also was an honorable mention on my list. All of these guys are willing in their own way to show emotion. And, you know, before I even start the list, you know, the other thing that brought this to, you know, my thought process for this week, in addition to Independence Day, of course, being the backdrop, was the whole Freddie Freeman situation. Like, Look, forget about, and I'm, I'm separating it, because forget about whether or not he was told by his agent or wasn't told by his agent who he fired, whether or not, you know, the final offer was given by the Braves and all of that. And look, there's a story there. But I, I'm just keeping the part of how many people have ripped him for crying when he came back down here and came home in front of the fans. Like, dude, the guy cares. Like, I don't, you know, first of all, it doesn't matter how much money you make. You still can cry. Like, I don't care if you've made $9 billion. You can't go watch E.T. and not cry. Do you have a soul? I remember the, I mean, come on, man. Like, or if you're an animal lover when, like, the dog dies in a movie. Like, you're crying, bro. Rudy, for me, forget it. Every time. Miracle. Every time Herb Brooks goes into the hallway and he goes like this by himself after they win, gone. I forget it. I mean, just don't turn around and look at me. Forget it. Every time. Like, we're not allowed to cry? Why? Because you're an athlete? I can't be an athlete. Like, I mean, how stupid and caveman-like centric bullshit is that? It's ridiculous. That, that part of the Freddie Freeman thing is, it, we see in articles that I'm reading about, you know, people getting on him for, like, the emotions. Like, shut up. You people are just jealous that he's making all that money. Like, he's not allowed to turn down money. He's not allowed, like, if, I, if, if any of us could make more money, we're making more money. That doesn't make us bad people. That's not a political thing. That's not a thing about what kind of human you are. The guy's got a family. He grew up on the West Coast. He went out there. He did what he did. The Braves let him kind of hang out there. The Braves let him go speed dating. They shouldn't have done that in the first place. And they could have avoided that years before. Not days before or months before, but years before. They could have avoided that. Didn't avoid that. That's not his fault. Now we're getting mad the dude was crying? Really? Come on, man. That's, that's weak. That's bullshit. Sorry. All right, so again, this is a personal list. People hate it, and it is what it is. This is what I got. Number 10, I got Manny Ramirez. Now, it's a little personal because I covered him. But Manny Ramirez, who, you know, it's, he's a, you can't say, like, I've had people get mad, like, in the past, where I say it's a sad story about somebody who used steroids. It's not sad, because it's like, it's, they cheated you know, they wronged the sport and they did what they did, right? So it's not like somebody like, you know, heaven forbid, had some kind of illness. Like, I get that. But it's sad because 
the Manny story should have been a different story. It adds to Manny being Manny, right? And it adds to what makes it toxic or, you know, fireworks in this case from an independent standpoint on his own. But for me, I think it's sad because this dude was as prolific a run-producing right-handed hitter as we— I mean, look, when we talk about Pujols, when we talk about Miguel Cabrera, the third guy, you know, if you want to put A-Rod, certainly, of, of course, in there, you can, depending on what you think of him. But Manny would be the other guy everybody would think of in the last 20, 30 years. And, like, you can't do that because, you know, you never knew what Manny was doing or thinking anyway, but those are for other reasons not related to anything having to do with it, if he took steroids. Manny being Manny was his own thing. I mean, this dude dancing around and the, the way he could, you know, wow a crowd, you know, when he was saying he was going to Disney World or Disneyland after they won the World Series, the celebrations, everything Manny did was, was brought fireworks, including, by the way, the way he performed with Big Poppy. Because you're not getting, look, Big Poppy, when he came over and the twins screwed up, we all know that story. But he was protected, not only in the lineup, but from, you know, having to do too much too soon and, and able to begin the career he did in Boston when I was covering that because of Manny. I mean, you know about these left-right combos we've had and it could do a different list on, like, dynamic duos. And look, at, here's another guy, Ryan Braun, right, with, with Fielder and some others that we've seen over the years. I mentioned Jeff Kent, Barry Bonds, right, Not, you know, in that case. You know, people got their own thoughts, but you, know, you get that left left in front of a right in a lineup, and, you know, who's on that great list? They, they all, over the last couple of decades, behind these two. But the Manny moment that, to me, symbolizes Manny more than anything Manny that Manny could have done being Manny was when he cut off Johnny Damon in the outfield. Now, for those who have not seen this play, there are a lot of weird plays that we've seen. We have Marcelo Zuna climbing the fence a couple of years ago when the ball landed like 30 feet in front of him. That was weird, right? Number nine on my list, Tease, had a ball bounce off his head and go over the wall for a homer. We've had all kinds of different stuff. You had A-Rod and Bronson Arroyo at first base. We've had some craziness, right? Nothing I've ever seen, I don't think, in baseball from like a, I don't know what category this is in, but this is just crazy kind of a thing, was more of that, whatever that is. <clears throat> if you have not seen the play, pause the podcast now, go search it on YouTube and go watch it, and I, I bet you you can't watch it once. Tweet me. You can't. You got to watch it at least five times because it's unbelievable. Manny was not a good defender. He makes a better play taking a diving stab to go take away a, a cutoff throw from Johnny Damon than any play I'd seen him make in the outfield. This is a guy who legitimately, when Alan Embry was on the hill, they couldn't start the inning because Manny was taking a piss in the green monster. Like, okay? That's Manny being Manny. But when he cut off Johnny Damon's throw into the infield, that was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Like, legitimately, if this was a video where we were doing this for TV, I, I edited and rolled that in, and we just go over that, and we, we diagram, like, a John Madden, like, boom, he's on his back, like, X's and O's, the whole play. Because the whole thing is, like, it needs the czar of the telestrator, my, my guy Mike Fratello. I mean, it's crazy. It is legit nuts. Manny at number 10. Number nine, Jose Canseco. Jose Canseco was a guy who was an independent fireworks guy when he was part of the Bash Brothers with Mark McGuire. He was a guy who always got the attention, look, for a lot of reasons, right? Good-looking dude, got a lot of attention for that. Uh, you know, he was in, you know, the, the athlete heartthrob category. He was built like he was like a monster, right, from Space Jam. You had all of that. 
And then you had, you know, the home runs and the World Series run. And then you had all the other craziness, like the ball bouncing off his head and then the steroids. And then, of course, everything with Balco in the book. And even though Jose Canseco was the guy who was on Surreal Life and you can't believe any shit he says, a lot of the stuff he said was right. You know, just because it's a bad source doesn't mean it's a good piece of you can't get a good piece of information. Really good people. I consider myself a, a smart person. I've done dumb things, you know. So on the other end, stupid people can do the right thing. And in this game, I'm not saying he's stupid, but people who like are a little bit um, lacking what you would consider to be the greatest of integrity to that point can still say things that are true, and he did. But Jose Canseco was was always in the category of bringing fireworks. Even now, look, he pushed himself into the spotlight often. I mean, even on Twitter, half the stuff he says, it's like I, you know, you don't even know what's going on, and you're thinking, and you know, not from some kind of a, you know, does he have a problem? Screw loose, but like, is there, like, does he care? Like, does he not care? Like, I can't kind of figure out what his his deal is. But Jose Canseco's deal was hitting a lot of home runs, getting a lot of attention. And then continuously, as his career went on, getting attention for the wrong things. And then afterwards, trying to bring everybody down with him. And being on the surreal life. I got Jose Canseco at number nine. Number eight for me. Now, I got two teams on this list because I can break my own rules. I know it said independent fireworks. Independent would be one person. But I break my own rules. It's what happens. So I actually have two teams on this list. Number eight are the 1985 Chicago Bears. The 85 Bears, and there was a great piece I saw on the plane a few years ago traveling that was done. I don't know, Showtime. I'm sure some of you have seen it. Is it Showtime that did it? I can't remember. It wasn't 30 for 30, I don't think, even though there may have been one on the Bears. But it, w- it was highlighting just all the stories of this team. The Super Bowl shuffle is still to this day one of the coolest things that has ever transpired in terms of crossing over into pop culture from any sports team, and that was before social media. Could you imagine Think right now, people. What would the Super Bowl shuffle be if it could be memed and we could turn it into a a social monumental thing, right, like we do now with social media? It would be amazing. But this was a team that just didn't give a shit what anyone else thought. It's the best defense I've ever seen. No offense to the Ravens, who had a great one. The year they beat my Giants in the Super Bowl, Ron Dixon had the only points the Giants scored. And Brandon Stokely and Trent Dilfer and that whole thing. And obviously the defense with Ray Lewis. The great defense. The Giants had a great defense for a couple of different years. There have been some others. Nobody had a defense in my lifetime like the, the 85 Bears. The 85 Bears defense, like Richard Dent may be the most underrated player like of, of that era defensively because everybody paid attention to Mike Singletary and then you had the fridge and... You know, all these other great players, right? And Hampton and everybody else. But, you know, Dent was like, I mean, a stud. They had studs on that team. They were brash. The Chicago Bears are like, when if you're a kid and you're playing like the original Madden or go back to, remember, like Joe Montana football or Tech Mobile, like you wanted to be Bo Jackson going back to my last list, right? And I would be a giant, the Giants always, right? Who doesn't want to throw to Phil McConkey? But the, everybody, the Bears, it's Soldier Field. Like, it's the Bears. The uniforms are cool. The stadium's cool. The aura about them, are, it's cool. It's freezing. If you can't hack it, you can't be here. We're tougher than you. And really, it's becoming over the last number of decades. We just have no quarterbacks, no offensive coordinators, offensive coordinators who are turning into coaches, coaches we have to fire, and the whole thing's just a dumpster fire, Right? 
But Jim McMahon was like, he again, here's another guy. Imagine social media, right? During that heyday. This is the king of cool, Jim McMahon. This guy was a stud. But you've got the fridge running in for touchdowns. You've got the Super Bowl shuffle. You've got the, you know, Willie Galt running up and down the sidelines and then doing the same thing. I remember like him and like a Vander Holyfield and all those guys. Like that was a great thing that ABC used to do, right? With like the obstacle course and all that. So, like everything about this team was flair and dramatic, but successful at the highest level. The eighty-five Bears for me on the list at number eight. Let's get to number seven. Terrell Owens. T.O. is generally seemingly an unlikable guy, all right? Now, I'm a Giant fan. He ended up destroying my team in that unbelievably disastrous debacle that I remember I was living in L.A. at the time that the Giants had where Jeff Garcia and the Niners were down, I don't know, was it 30 points at the half? And came back and scored 40 points or whatever it was and beat the Giants on a field goal. It was disgraceful. All right. He was on the Cowboys. Hi, the Cowboys are the worst. He was on the Eagles. Like, you couldn't be a guy that I would hate more as a Giant fan than Terrell Owens. And, you know, then you're like, you know, at the end, going back to even after his career, like, no, nah, the Hall of Fame calls, I'm not coming. Like, you're an asshole then. Like, seriously. I mean, what kind of a, like, like what a dick. Sorry. Right? Like, are you kidding? Like, you know, the Hall of Fame calls, I'm not going. Like, no one's bigger than the Hall of Fame. And you could, you know, here's the disingenuous part about some athletes. They're always like, you know, like Kyrie does this all the time. Kyrie will play this whole, it's the media I don't like. Like, I like basketball players. I like hoopers. I don't like the media, right? But you're disrespecting your own peers when you say shit like, we don't need a coach. And by the way, Steve Nash right who's a better player than Kyrie was if you I'm not talking about talent with the ball handling but all-around player yeah sorry in terms of like what he accomplished in his career with the MVPs right now you could say was it Mike D'Antoni and the offense they couldn't play defense why didn't they win but Steve Nash was a dude okay to be you're disrespecting your own peers in that case here same thing like I'm not going to the hall if they call me like that's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard Right? It's one thing if you're Kurt Schilling, you're afraid eggs are going to get thrown at you. Terrell Owens like, no, you didn't get me there quick enough. Like, I really? But he is kind of an underrated player. Terrell Owens is one of these guys who, because of the push-ups on the lawn, when you know, he and Drew Rosenhaus are out there, like, uh, you know, as if they're like uh, the guy with Flex Seal selling one of the boats that you tape together. I mean, it was like a commercial. It was like, forget Shaq and CVS and Isle 4. It was like Terrell Owens was on every commercial. And it wasn't a commercial. It was like Sports Center selling where he's going to sign. He's doing push-ups on his lawn. And his shirt's off. And he's dancing. He's doing all this other kind of crap. But because of all that stuff that happened, it took away from what a fantastic wide receiver. This guy was a terrific wide receiver. I mean, if I was a quarterback, I would have hated his guts. He talked shit about every single one of them, including Jeff Garcia. And then Donovan McNabb, who's a very likable guy, saying that, like, hey, you know, we would have won the Super Bowl if this dude, like, could have kept his, like, uh, his cookies down, right? I mean, basically, like, tossing the guy out under a Zamboni, saying, nah, he was throwing up. He was too nervous. That's why we didn't win. I mean, come on. You can't do that. That's horse shit. So he did all this unlikable stuff that took away from how likable his talent was and the kind of career the guy had. He's a great player. Great player. But I got T.O. at 7. Manny at 10. Canseco at 9. 85 Bears at 8. Terrell Owens at 7. Number 6, Chuck. My guy, Charles Barkley. Charles is one of the greatest to ever take that 
step over the line, not just the line he stepped over a million times. In this case, the line I mean is from athlete to broadcaster. He has been, and there are a lot of people, including my dude Tim Kiley, who's one of the great producers of all time, who produced it with that show, and, and all the people who are still on it, and the, the crew. But that show is Chuck. I mean, that, he's the show. I mean, that's, that's, he is that show. Inside, inside is, is Chuck. And, and I mean, look, Ernie's fantastic. They're all fantastic. But I've seen it myself. I mean, he, it's, it is what it is, right? This dude is like everywhere he goes, it's, you remember when I said, like, Charles Haley? Like, he's the Charles Haley. of You could put him on any broadcast. That's why you could put him on golf when they have the match. You could put him on the college basketball. It's like people for three seconds are like, oh, Chuck don't know college basketball. And then he says something stupid, and you don't even care. The guy's never used an ATM machine, legitimately. Never has used an ATM machine. He told me, and he's older than me, only about five, six years ago, on air, that he thought his whole life you're supposed to swallow gum when you're done chewing it, okay? Like... He's a different kind of cat, but the guy, and he's also a terrific guy and, and humble more than you think. It's not all shtick, but he's, he's a really actually a humble guy and a really nice guy and great with crew and great with people and doesn't treat you like he's you know, different or better than you are. But everything he says is viral, everything, because he can say things no one else can say. Now, Shaq's in the same category, and there's some other guys certainly in this business that are that way. I mean, Stephen A. could say some stuff that, that I can't say, and so on and so forth, right? It depends what your platform is and who you are. But Charles says stuff no one would say, and Charles says it about athletes, and he was one. And it's like he totally breaks that code, like, you know, guy code, like athlete code. He breaking that doesn't even matter and you go back to him look the dream team had and it's one of the great documentaries of all time right but like the dream team had michael jordan magic johnson okay larry bird you're talking about like the greatest players ever and chuck's in that category top 75 guy and all of that but go look at the document the whole thing's chuck because he's the most entertaining he jumps off the page with all the conversation, like before they beat Angola, who's doing all the talking? Charles Barkley. In all the practices, who's doing all the talking? Charles Barkley. I mean, he was that way, the round mound and rebound during his career. He was that way. I mean, this, he was a fantastic player. He's an all-time player. And at his size, height-wise, to do what he was doing as a power, it's amazing. But everything he does is viral. He is independent fireworks. Fits the category as much as anybody could have been higher. I got Charles at six. Manny at ten. Canseco at 9, 85 Bears at 8, T.O. at 7, Charles at 6, number 5, the 1986 New York Mets. Now, they just recently did a 30 for 30 about this team, and I was waiting for that, like, forever. This was, of all the, the teams I grew up with, because I actually was at a Stanley Cup Finals game when I was, like, 5, and I started watching hockey and getting into it as a really small kid, but, I mean, there's only so much you can really understand and get into it and, and really kind of dig in and feel all that pain and heart and soul and all that, right? Um, in the mid-'80s, when I was sitting there eight, nine years old, the 86 Mets, the 88 team, those were the, te the first teams that I really kind of felt the, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. The, the agony of defeat being Oral Hershiser two years after the thrill of victory in '86. But the 86 Mets, if there ever was a team that didn't give a shit about anything— like, even each other half the time, seemingly, it was this team. They were so brash, so confident. The stories of what happened on that plane after they, they go and they avoid that Game 7 with Houston 
and beat the Astros and what they did to that plane. All the things that happened from, you know, the drugs. And look, there's a lot of unfortunate stuff from, you know, the drugs and, and you know, the highs and lows with that team. But, like, Lenny Dykstra alone is everything you'd ever want from, like, independent fireworks. And not the kind that Vince Coleman was accidentally throwing into a crowd if you go years later with this, this crazy franchise. That was 93, maybe, 92. But the 86 Mets were a collection of, and there were great talents. I mean, you got Hall of Fame talents on the team, and you got great all-time great players, even if they're not Hall of Famers, including Keith, and congrats to him, who's going to get his number retired here in a few days. But the 86 Mets were the epitome of, like, and Davey Johnson was just the perfect guy for that team because he buffered. Like, at that point as a manager, you're the buffer between, like, I got to keep you guys together enough. And I saw this with, to a different extent, covering on a day-in, day-out basis the 04 Red Sox, what Tito did with them, with the guys who called themselves. I'm not saying it. They, Johnny Damon wrote a book about it, The Idiots, right? Like, you've got a buffer between that team and then and everybody in the outside world because – you know half the shit that's going on is like we can't we don't even want this public because they're just crazy. But I gotta get you together enough to like each other enough and to like be sane enough to play. And then I gotta kind of keep the owners and the GMs and the media happy. So I'm like kind of it, it really is not an easy job. And Tito did it to I mean perfection in 04. And I thought Davy Johnson in 86 with the Mets. But the 86 Mets, I mean, forget it for like a million reasons. They're in there at number five. Number four, Dennis Rodman. He could have easily been number one on the list. The reason I didn't put him at number one is only because I felt stronger about the three that are in front of him. The three that are in front of him are... They're all three are higher-level ability guys, performer, and all-timers in their sports, in three different sports, than Robin is in the NBA, even though he was an underrated player who could have scored more could have, and we saw games where he would, like, break out the jumper, and people were like, wait, he's got touch? Like, he could hit mid-range? Like, he could, right? Dennis Rodman, it doesn't even need explanation, because you can go from, like, trying to talk to world leaders, you can go backwards, being on The Apprentice, then you can go to, like, you know, leaving his team, not telling them where he's going, going to Vegas, wearing dresses, having weird, like... Like, I, I don't even know what kind of things that he was doing. on. T I mean, he is, like, the reason for TMZ, pretty much. Uh, you know, being on uh, reality television all over the place. Like, has he been on Top Chef? Maybe it's the only one he's not on. But he also, on the floor, was wreaking havoc, and he was a tremendous player, so he stayed relevant. Like, he, you know, part of the bad boys, right? He's, he was with the Pistons. That's where he kind of, like, grows into his own. And then he just went out, like, on his own. Like, it was like, we're on Earth, and Dennis Rodman, wherever heck he is. But he's kind of likable in a, an odd way, in a lot of ways, because it's so kooky and so crazy that you're like, you know, the guy is comfortable in his own skin. And for me, I love that. I hate people who are fake. Like, I, I don't use the word hate often. I really don't. And people are like, somebody the other day is like, oh, you hate, you know, uh, Jeter wasn't on your list for appointment views because you hate him. I don't hate Derek Jeter. First of all, nobody hates Derek Jeter. But I don't, I, unless you got a gift basket from him. I don't hate Derek Jeter. I don't even hate Chipper Jones. I like Chipper Jones. Like, and he did way worse things to my teams than Derek Jeter. I hate the New York Rangers, but it's not an individual player. It's the team. I hate fake people. I, I mean, I will use it for that. Dennis Rodman's the epitome of, like, he just is who he is. Like, this, like the, in the 30 for 30, like, in, in the doc that they just did with the Bulls, right? 
which is amazing. And everybody loved it. Like the stuff with Rodman, like it's like I there's still so many stories we probably don't even know. Like that like Phil Jackson and others could tell about like what it's like trying to wrangle this guy. It's like honestly, it's like be a lion tamer trying to figure him out. But Dennis Rodman on the list at number four. Number three, Conor McGregor. Now I know this is gonna probably tick some people off and they're gonna say he's way too high and they don't like MMA. I mean this sincerely. I could have put him at number one. I didn't. Because I had two I felt strongly about, and I actually wasn't sure which one I wanted to put at one and two, and I'll get to that when we get there. But Conor McGregor is a brilliant man. Now, he's got unlikable qualities. He's done some things off the field, right in this case outside of the octagon, that I don't support, I'm not with, right, in terms of you know being violent or how he's been with you know people of the opposite, all kinds of stuff, right? But he's brilliant, as far as, like, brand relevance, like, it wasn't a surprise, like, he and Mayweather got in there. There must be such a level of mutual respect because they're both so good at this. His understanding of his brand and how to monetize it is brilliant. He is brilliant. Conor McGregor is brilliant. He is a better marketer than he is a fighter. Now, he's a better fighter than Ronda Rousey, who also really did well with her brand. And then it turned out, like, it wasn't that she was bad, but there weren't, it was a really underdeveloped group of women at that point because they were just getting into the sport. And then they've got to be young enough or learn or, or, you know, move over from other combat sports and then figure it out and then work their way up. And then eventually they all passed her by. Conor McGregor was better than that. There's a reason why he was a champion. Doesn't seem to me at this point in his career like he has the hunger that he used to have, but that's human nature. Like nobody can get, I, I love people. Nobody can get on the guy. Like now he's got like forget about like you know with the whiskey and all these different things that that he's hawking that are his own brands and all this stuff. But you know he basically like Brett Favre, right? Think about who Brett Favre is. Like Roger Clemens. These are the only other guys who can like retire and unretire and have it like immediately be it like breaking news on SportsCenter or wherever the second they say anything. This guy has in a, in a sport in MMA. You can make a case. Maybe it's not even on ESPN. Maybe we don't even have it nationally. The level we have it right now, if not for this guy, everybody thought Ronda Rousey was that person. John Jones, not that person for me. Anderson Silver, love him. No, it's Conor McGregor. Now, is he bigger than the logo? Like, is he, you know, was kind of putting it today? I, I don't know if that's the case. But this, why does he cut? The question of, like, why does he cut the line when he doesn't deserve a title shot is, like, going back to a couple of podcast episodes ago, why do people in Colorado still ask me, how are we not on primetime when we had a better record than the Yankees this year during a playoff run? Like, are you kidding? Like, they're putting the Dodgers and the Yankees on at 7 and 10, and you're on at 2.30 in the afternoon. you got to just eat it, dude. Are you kidding me? But it's the same thing. It's like Conor McGregor sells, but it's him. It's the brand. He's not near the fighter he used to be. Forget about just the fact that he's older and worn down. I don't think he's putting his fighting business into the prioritizing that he does with family now that's been growing for him with kids and with his own personal monetizing of business and his brand. But this guy is, is he fucking brilliant. This guy's brilliant. He is brilliant. And is such a an independent fireworks anything he says anything he does and I love I I love watching him do anything I love I love Conor McGregor I mean it just you, you really shouldn't and like you do it's like watching the shield and rooting for like Vic Mackey or Stone Cold Steve Austin when he was in like WWE or something it's like is he supposed to be bad why do I like him McGregor at 3 number 2 is Allen Iverson 
I've said this many times. There are certain guys that we always, like, we overuse a lot of things in sports. A lot of comments and different things. One of the more overused terms and things we say, he changed the landscape of the sport. He changed the way we view a sport. He changed the way the sport is moving forward. Now, Steph Curry, we could say that, right? There are certain guys we could say that. Certain defenses and certain coaches, right? You, you can say that about Allen Iverson. And I could also say this. He's, thank God he was a basketball player. Because if AI was a baseball player, he would have never existed. They are so afraid of marketing their own talent and anybody being different. I mean, they can't really wait to see who number one is, but you, sh- you would be surprised at anybody on this list. Because they don't allow anybody to be that, right? Allen Iverson didn't want to dress like anyone else had dressed. He didn't want to wear short shorts. He, wanted, he, he didn't want to, you know, he, he wanted to beat to his own drum. And I say drum, I go into music and I ask you this. Is there anything greater than the tie? Like, we think about fashion, but how about the tie that you have between the NBA and music, right? It is such a big thing. Allen Iverson was a huge part of that. Allen Iverson was going to be different and do what he wanted, and he wasn't going to sit there and, you know, look like somebody that was on black and white TV just going through the motions. He was going to do his own thing. What you're talking about practice was not just in that practice, but in his whole life. They played his ass off. He was an unbelievable player. But everything about him was, I'm me, and I don't give a shit. You think I'm too short? Watch me. I remember watching him at Georgetown, and I don't even remember how many steals he had in the tournament. But the last tournament he was in, where he's like, every time somebody else had the ball, he's stealing it. And it was like, this guy is just, he is appointment view, could have easily been on the other list I had, and enigmatic and different, and isn't apologizing for it at all. And in a sport that's about a lot of times, right, guys who are way taller than him, here's a guy that's diminutive in size, and certainly that's something that, like, I resonated to, but diminutive in size who, like, I'm going to force you to watch me, you know? I'm going to be the loudest guy in the room, but I'm also going to have the loudest game in the room. So I'm bringing both. Good luck. At me. Right? And Iverson brought both. Here was a guy who had the loudest game and the biggest mouth. But he was brash in what he wore. He wanted he he brought you know music and culture in, into the game. He was different. And to me, the fact that he went to Philly is like the greatest match ever. It's a city that look. I, I mean, I give it a lot of crap in terms of throwing batteries and you know snowballs at Santa Claus and all that stuff. But it's a great sports town. <clears throat> it's a it's a it's a blue collar, tough nose, get down in it. Like you know, very much the way New York and Boston is, but more so even, more so even. And he epitomied that more than anybody. Allen Iverson was like, Allen Iverson was going to the hole. If Allen Iverson played now, he could score 100 points a game. I remember telling, and I only worked with him a couple of times, Rod Strickland, who is one of the more underrated point guards to me of, of his era. And ball handling wise, is like a top five guy that, that you've ever seen. So people don't realize how good this dude was, but he could have scored 100 points if he wanted to in today's day and age because they don't touch you when you get into the lane. That's why so many small players are having so much success. Like, everything is a foul, or the defenses don't rotate, and there's so many easy baskets. Allen Iverson would have scored at will. Forget about everybody used to complain sometimes, like, he was like the Kobe factor, may he rest. Like, how many shots he took? How many shots would he take now? I'm not giving Aaron McKee the ball when I could go. He could be and one every five seconds. But Allen Iverson dared to be different. Allen Iverson was his own guy, AI. It wasn't Allen. It was AI. 
I, I, I love what he brought to the table. And to me, everything about him, it fits this category. I got him at number two. Number one, Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds, clearly, you could go backwards, fits the fireworks because of the home run display. You know, we talk about appointment view, right? And we talk about, you know, independently bringing fireworks and all that kind of stuff. When you're stopping TV like you did for, like, the OJ chase to watch Barry Bonds' at-bats, hi, bro, that's a big deal, right? But Barry Bonds' whole career was that way. When he first came up, very similar to Allen Iverson. He had, you know, the gold necklaces and the chains and, you know, it looked like you could have, like, hey, can I trade your neck for, like, my house or, like, a whole block in terms of, like, what it was worth, right, that he's carrying around. It's like, why is Cespedes' diamonds falling on second base? And for those who have not heard this story, because it is hilarious, for those who remember Cespedes when he dropped the diamonds, when I saw his dribble Cabrera, the last, and I don't remember, been on so many teams recently, the Nationals championship run. During that postseason run, I asked him, and I don't remember if it was on or off the air. It wasn't a secret. I think it was on the air. He didn't care. He said I could, because I remember saying it on the air. He didn't care. Uh, and that's, for early reporters, make sure you know whether or not somebody is looking to care if it's something that they want to bring up or not. But he, he didn't care. He still had them. <laughs> he picked them up, if you remember, from the infield. He gave them back to Cespedes. He kept them. I would, too. First of all, you should sell them. But, like, you know, why is that around your neck when you're, like, trying to steal second base, right? It seems, like, really dumb. Barry Bonds was a guy, people don't like him because, like, oh, his egotistical attitude because of what he wore and wearing all the jewelry. And that's, like, why you got to wear an earring in the outfield? That's not how baseball players play. And who the hell do you think you are? People were pissed about that. Then people were mad because, like, he wouldn't even, like, he wouldn't do the obligatory let's be fake with the media thing. Look, people... Players think we're really dumb, all right? That's the first thing, and a lot of us are, and a lot of them are, a lot of people are stupid, right? But players think we're really dumb. I don't even know how many times I've even had a guy who you just know is being fake with you, doesn't want to talk to you, or is, like, trying to blow you off, but in a way where he's, like, lying about it, and I'm like, dude, it's fine. Just say no. Like, I'm not, whatever. Like, you know, you're an athlete. I wish I could play. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, respect to me is more about, like, honesty and upfront. Again, I, I can't stand people who are fake, but... There's there's a there's this whole thing that people like kind of think we're stupid and they really they placate us and I've seen it. I mean I hate the worst thing I always feel so bad. It's like an awe moment is like when I see a producer who I've worked with, like and I've worked with many like this who are so conscientious and like I know they're getting effed with and you know they wanna believe it and you have to like see them like go through the, the uh you know the um ninth green at nine thing like in Happy Gilmore where they're out there by themselves, right? Barry Bonds didn't do any of that. He's like, I don't like you. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Like, all the things Kyrie does now, but he's not Barry Bonds, right? So, <laughs> he's like, like I, I don't care what any of you think. I don't, you know, I don't like you. I don't have to talk to you. And it was obnoxious, and the media hated him. But you kind of like, it's kind of, you know, it's not endearing, but there's, there's kind of like part of it is like, okay, I respect it, like, you own who you are. Like, the thing to me between Ryan Braun and Barry Bonds, the way I looked at it, and I've had many conversations with Ryan Braun, including after what happened, and he, like, flutters his eyes at you, and it's like, he's like, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a smart guy, well-spoken guy, nice guy, kind, polite. You know, it seems like, like this dude should, like, be on The Bachelor. Like, and then he's, like, ruined the, 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 the pea collector's life, and he's, like, lying and doing all this stuff. 
Barry Bonds, like, Barry Bonds so egotistical, even when everybody knows, like, hey, you did it, dude. Like, no, 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 cream and clear, I meant Neutrogena. Like, I just had, like, a, you know, I had a, a dry skin issue. Like, you know, I mean, he can say anything he wants because he's like, I don't even give a shit. Like, I'm going to just do me, and he's, like, above the law. I mean, it kind of is annoying, but at the same time, it's like, okay, at least he owns it. Like, Barry Bonds is not for a minute that I've seen pretended like he's, like, he may be a good person, and he may be a nice person to his family and friends, but he is not pretended for a second to give a shit about being a nice person to you or to me. And I kind of appreciate that. But everything this guy has done his whole life, including all the controversial stuff afterwards and, and how he got there and what he's doing, everything in the Hall of Fame, everything is fireworks with this guy. I mean, he was an unbelievable defender and base stealer and leadoff hitter and a Hall of Famer. People don't want to hear about like he was a Hall of Famer before he did steroids. He was a Hall of Famer before he did steroids. In other words, he was a Hall of Famer before he went from the small guy in Nintendo hockey, past medium, and went right to the fat guy in Nintendo hockey. Like, he was a Hall of Famer before that, people. Sorry. Before all that. Fame. Okay? He wanted to live forever. Like, he did a Cooperstown before that. I even just, like, spit up a little bit. Not like Gerber baby food, but I, on my microphone. Um, this was a dude. But from day one, he just had this attitude of, like, I'm just going to be who I am. You don't like it? Shove it. Now, to me, the part that's tough is... You, got, you are obligated when you're part, and, and whether you like it or not. Look, the league is doing stuff for you, too. In baseball, not as much. We've discussed that. But, like, there's an obligation of, like, what do I owe the league? What do I owe my team? What do I owe my teammates? Here's another guy who had just the right managers in Jim Leland and Dusty Baker. Just the right guys at the right times in those two guys. Anybody who knows those two, are just the right, they're the right dudes to deal with Barry. But... You wish he, like, kind of got it a little bit more. Like, you don't have to placate the media, but, like, understand and respect. Just, like, you want – because it, it's not a two-way street. Like, for him, guys like him and, like, guys like Kyrie, there's, like, I want the media asking us shit. Like, they always think we have dumb questions, like, not enough X's and O's. And then somebody tries to get nerdy, and they say the wrong thing, and then they get on you for that, right? Well, if you want me to respect, hey, you know the game, it's your game, let you go hoop – then you got to respect, I got a job, I got to cover the game, I got to tell a story, and I got to ask you a question and get a straight answer. Anything unfair about that? Don't think so. Number 10, Manny Ramirez. Number 9, Jose Canseco. Number 8, the 85 Bears. Number 7, T.O. Number 6, Chuck. Number 5, the 86 Mets. Number 4, Dennis Rodman. Number 3, Conor McGregor. Number 2, Allen Iverson. Number 1, Barry Bonds. And episode number 10 of Unfiltered in the can. A couple of big guests and episodes coming up. At me at Casey Stern on Twitter. Who would you have on the list? Get in touch with Believe, myself, on our YouTube channels. And let's keep the love going, except for the Cowboys, because their fans are the worst. Enjoy your holiday weekend. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.